This is Anthony Manfredi. Hi, this is Opal Alipat. And this is the Performance Management TechCast podcast. Welcome to the Performance Management TechCast. We are recording this in June of 2021. A very exciting topic today as we discuss all things Groovy with Joe Altman and Kyle Goodfriend. This technology has taken the Oracle EPM world by storm over the last few years, and we are excited to have two experts on with us to discuss it. Hi, guys. Let's start with some basic introductions. Kyle, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Opal, for having me. Uh, My name is Kyle Goodfriend. I am a principal solutions engineer at Oracle, and I've been there for about 10 months. Prior to that, I spent a good 15, 20 years in consulting. I've been working with Groovy since it was released, and I think it was about three and a half years ago. Pretty much the day that it was released, I had to use it in the project to save my butt. So I've been using it for quite a while. And Joe, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Hey, sure. Thanks. Uh, Hi, everybody. My name is Joe Altman. I am a strategic services architect for uh, Argano NRL Consulting, uh, which basically means my day job is to do assessments of people's EPM and BI environments and help them set roadmaps for the future. My evening job is uh, digging into um, some of the subtleties of Groovy and business rules and things like that. Uh, And I've been actually working with Groovy as a language for, I'm going to say, 11 or 12 years since I first started using it to do S-based automation quite a while ago. I was part of the review team that got the initial look at incorporating Groovy into the EPM cloud environment prior to its release. I had some some role in advising there. And so I've also been using it since the Groovy business rule capability was brought out. My, I first presented about Groovy as a language at Kscope in 2011 about my S-space automation work. Nice. Well, we are saying the word groovy quite a bit, but it's not just a 70s meme here. So Kyle, why don't you do this with the honor of explaining what is groovy to a layperson? All right, I'll uh, give it a shot. First of all, groovy is an open source scripting language and it sits on top of Java. All of the methods used in groovy are things that would largely be a lot more complicated and difficult if you had to write them in a language like Java. So the goal of groovy is that you don't have to be a programmer or understand complex concepts to really use the scripting language. It's similar to how Excel gives us calculation functions and all we have to do is input the parameters. So I don't have to know how to calculate a payment for a car or a house. I just have to know what the value of the car is, the number of months and the interest rate. And I plug those into a method and it calculates it out for me. So Groovy isn't quite that simple, but it gives us non-programmers, in my opinion, a chance to be successful using a programming language. And it allows us to do things a lot of times in one line of code that might otherwise take 30. And for those customers out there that have Oracle EPM Cloud, which is the scope of today's podcast recording, talk to them about which customers can interact with Groovy and how do they access Groovy? So Groovy is available, and I know things change quite rapidly, but Groovy is available in PBCS plus one, which means 
that if you have PBCS and you've purchased one of the modules and it doesn't matter which one it is, you would have access to Groovy. If you have ePBCS, then you have access to Groovy. On the newer SKUs, if you have the standard version, Groovy is not available. And if you have the uh, enterprise version, then it is available. And one thing that I wanted to <clears throat> make sure that people are aware of is that um, Oracle's worked pretty hard, I've come to find out, to make all of the services be on a common platform. So a lot of people talk about Groovy and planning, but it's actually available in close now. And it's going to be available in the other services at some point in the future now that it's um, on a common platform. I think this is a good time to make sure that there's a certain line that we're not blurring here. Uh, and Kyle was very clear about this, just describing Groovy itself is um, Groovy is a language and it's not really an Oracle product. It, it's a completely independent thing. So when we're talking about what makes Groovy available, like who can use Groovy, what we're talking about there is specifically things like Groovy business rules inside of planning. And it's a subtle distinction, but when we're, you know, we kind of need to be specific here. Anybody can use the language if you want to use it as part of your planning solution or now your closed solution, then you have to have you know, the, the right products in order to be able to do that. But we're, we're kind of talking about a lot of things under this umbrella topic of Groovy, but it really is several different technologies combined underneath, underneath that umbrella. Yeah, that's a great, great point. And one of the things that I was going to mention is some people might <clears throat> might suggest that, you know, Groovy is available in the on-premises version of planning and S-Base. And to that distinction, uh, technically it is. You can write custom-defined functions using Groovy. And like Joe said, you can download Groovy and anybody can use it. The difference is that in the cloud products, it's embedded in the product and you can interact with users by interrupting form saves and doing things inside of the product that you can't do in on-premises versions of those products. One of the things that I've been bringing up since the very beginning of Groovy, and even since I took my very first Groovy class, is I find that there is a disparity here between your typical consumer, which is going to be, let's say, someone in finance or accounting, using this product, learning this kind of complex coding language. So let's try to quantify the complexity here. On a scale of one to 10, where one is like a child can understand it, to 10, where we're talking like astrophysicist formulas, how complex is it to learn Groovy, in your opinion, based on this scale? Where would you both rate that? I have a, a long answer to that. So let me take a stab. Um, <laughs> for me, I am not a programmer and I didn't know anything about Java or Groovy. And so when it was released, I spent a lot of nights until three, four, five in the morning spending time on things that now I laugh at because they were so ridiculously dumb. I felt like I really struggled. I had, didn't have any help. There were no blogs. All I had was the uh, Java docs. And I thought the Java docs were horrible on how to teach me how to use these. And now looking back, I have a completely different perspective on it. Once it clicked, it just made sense. And 
I think there are a couple concepts that anybody that wants to start doing this should understand before they get too far into it. If you have someone that can help you, that's great. But I think if you understand that there are two components of this learning, one is groovy and the language, and the other is how to use the methods and the classes that they give us and that are exposed in EPM. And I never knew which one I had wrong. So it was a real struggle to me. And I used to curse Oracle's name and say that the documentation was horrible. And then after I figured it out, what I realized is the documentation that they have is great. I mean, it's fine. It tells you everything that you need to know and how to use it. I just didn't know Groovy to be able to apply it. And I think if you start with some basics on understanding variables and lists and maps and start from the beginning, and then you get some help and have somebody explain to you how to read the Java doc. I think if I would have had those two things, I think my learning curve would have been shrunk by a year, literally. So as much of a challenge as I had, I really think if you have a little bit of education and you get pushed in the right direction, it's not that hard. On a one to 10, if you have some guidance, I think it's, I don't know, a seven, maybe a five. Okay. So you're asking me to rate it between my idiot cousin who rides an ATV at 50 miles per hour through the woods with no helmet and Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> right. So that's a little bit tough. So what I, I want to try and provide a few answers and try to help people get a relative feel for things. So let's, let's talk about just Excel and just doing formulas. You put that at maybe a three. If you want to use VBA scripts and kind of get into some macro creation in Excel, then you're getting into four and five. As far as programming languages go, there's a lot more complex stuff than Groovy. You know, like one of the coolest things about Groovy is how easy it really is, uh, more so than Java and a bunch of other ones. So let's put C++ as an example at around an eight, eight and a half, nine, something like that. Java comes in at about seven or eight. I'm going to put Groovy itself as a language at about five, five and a half. Layering together that I also have to know stuff about planning in order to use this as a, in a planning business rule. And I need to learn the extra layer of how Oracle has created an API to use Groovy for, to do that. I'm getting into maybe a six uh, and then I'm landing on the same number that Kyle gave you uh, as a seven around that area. Okay, that's fair. And I think that was uh, pretty thorough. So thank you both for your extremely detailed answers. I know that there are a lot of customers who are looking at Groovy and they're just kind of like, I really want to extend the abilities of my applications, but I don't really know how to get started or where to get started or what's the right skill set. This sounds foreign to me. What are y'all's opinions on what is the right skill set for either consultants or customers who want to work with Groovy? So I've always said that the best, <clears throat> the best person in this field is your finance and accounting type person that doesn't like their job and writes macros in Excel to automate their job, aka me. Because they have the finance background, they have um, the accounting background, and they understand. I think it's harder to teach an IT person the finance side than it is to teach the finance side how to write an S-Base calc. Groovy is, I think, a step harder than writing an S-Base calc, but I still feel like the person that you want because of some of the things that Joe said about you have to understand. I mean, just knowing Groovy is going to do nothing for you if you don't understand 
the planning application and you don't understand what users want because users don't always tell you what they want. Sometimes they don't know how to articulate what they want. Um, so I, I, I think I still feel that the best type of person, even with Groovy, is that person that you know understands the finance and accounting side, but really wants to learn the technical aspect of, of what we do. I think uh, I want to describe kind of an inside out approach, a practical approach for someone who is listening to this podcast because they're kind of an EPM person and they want to kind of break the seal and get started with Groovy. I think the first place to go is just uh, to be able to have good working examples that you can look at and adapt and understand. Kyle's blog is a great resource for that. Little pieces of code that you can go and look at and try to understand and just copy and paste just to get started doing some of the same things that are already documented how how to do things. Uh, just just copying what exists and doing your best to understand what actually is happening there. You don't want to just blindly copy and paste. And then as you get farther into that, look at the, the entire API. So it's all documented out there in the infamous Java docs that Kyle's referred to a couple of times. That is difficult at first to understand how to navigate through those Java docs. That's kind of a skill on its own, but there's a ton of information in there about what the possibilities are and what you can do with Groovy inside of EPM Cloud. So that would be the next step. From there, you can begin to explore the full language of Groovy and how to do things more efficiently, more elegantly, get more stuff done on one line, stuff like that. There's lots and lots of really cool things that you can do with the collections that you have inside of Groovy, your strings and your list and your maps and things like that. As you grow your skills in the language itself, then your code gets better. And the last thing, and this is actually something that makes Groovy in EPM harder than normal Groovy. And it's you have to learn some skill set with what they call generics in Java and wrestling with the compiler and all its complaints about how you've declared your variables and things like that. To me, that's still the hardest part of writing Groovy in business rules is I learned Groovy in a very relaxed environment that is not compiled so strictly, but they've turned on the flags in EPM cloud. So you have to be very, very specific about your variable declarations. And that is a difficult thing to teach and to learn. And sometimes I struggle greatly just trying to get something to compile. Uh, and so that's a skill that someone's going to need to have in their toolkit that even other Groovy programmers don't have to have. I think anybody looking to learn Groovy would do good to go out on the web and just download a generic Groovy installation and install it on your own computer. And when you're playing with the language, use that environment to write your code and test things and, and learn the ropes because it's very difficult within your business rules to just try to learn how the language works. You can just have it in an open environment on your own computer and it's much better that way. Yeah, I, I would totally agree, Joe. And, and the only other thing that I was thinking of and just learning, going through the struggles that I went through uh, and you kind of touched on it, I highly recommend anybody that's doing this, at least from my experience, the non-programmer, is that you declare the variables in your calc script very strictly. So don't use DEF, use string, 
use integer, use double, use, you know, Boolean, whatever it is, because there are a lot of times, and I, I get questions like this literally weekly, people will ask me these questions, is that they'll get an error and they don't know what the error is. And if you don't define the variable strictly, then Groovy will interpret that to be a certain you know, thing. If you say a variable equals one, it might make it an integer. If you say it's 1.0, it will make it float or something like that. And the, there's a difference between those two. So when it defines them dynamically and something requires a double and it may define it as an integer because the value that was sent to that didn't have a decimal, then you have errors. And the errors a lot of times don't make any sense. So that, that's the one thing that I think I would, I would give to people when they start doing this is make sure you define those variables strictly. That's some excellent advice, guys. What are some of the typical use cases for Groovy in cloud EPM that you guys see? There are a few that uh, you're going to see in pretty much any implementation that's leveraging Groovy. The very simplest one is just spinning up a calc script on the fly. We've all seen like the monster business rules are, you know, calc scripts that were thousands and thousands of lines long and probably uh, generated by code somewhere at some point, but all that code's been lost now and you've got thousands of lines of code that you've got to maintain now. So one thing that you could do is just write that code in Groovy and let it spin out the calc script, you know, as part of that. And then you're maintaining the algorithm, you're maintaining the code that generates the calc script and you don't have to manage some thousand multi-thousand line business rule, but that's a really simple use case. One of the things that you can combine that with is being able to react to cells on the form that your end users and planning have changed. Now they've typed in just a couple of cells, it could be a really big form. And when we run the rule, we can look for only those cells that have been edited. And then we can kind of write out little calc script commands and be very, very efficient about the calculations that we need to do. And then we wind up with just a, a few lines of calc script code that can run really, really quickly. Kyle alluded to earlier uh, the idea of validating data, interrupting the save. So we can look at the data on the form and find out if it meets certain rules. Does this, does this list of percentages equal to 100%, things like that. In fact, I can even do validations and make sure that data is passing rules, even if I have to look at other data that's in some other part of my database or even in a completely other database, I can go and look and make sure it's gonna pass certain rules that may not have any bearing of, uh, or exist on the form that I'm working with right now, which is kind of brings you into the, to the last use case that I'll mention is I can create in code, in memory grids that are like data forms in planning or light smart view ad hoc grids. And I can just pull data out of the database, see what's in there, do whatever math I need to do, and I can create other grids and write data back to the database. There's a lot of work going on uh, in that area right now. Yeah. Um, just you know, automating calculations that are very difficult in calc scripts, but you know, pretty natural to do, and even mocking up um, Excel models. I'm gonna take it a little bit different direction and talk about some of the maybe more unique things that people aren't aware of. So yeah, the interaction with the users on the forums is, is awesome. Um, there are all kinds of other things that we can do, like what if analysis, we can have a user enter data on a form that doesn't actually save back to the database, but mm. it calculates all of the impacted accounts for them to look at to see if they like it or not. And if they like it, they can accept it. If they don't, 
it's like a big undo. There's, you know, metadata management that you can do. You can go out and basically connect to any source that you want to. And in the examples that I have and some of the things that I've produced at Kscope, the way I built my application was I went out to Best Buy's website and I actually built my outline in a calc script from the metadata that's on their website. So the stores, the products, their prices, open boxed items, all of those things to not only build the metadata, but actually fill the data. And if you take that into a more realistic example, you could you know, do things like go out and pull in currency rates. Currency is a big factor. You could do it hourly. You could do it daily. You can you know, do whatever that you want. You don't have to have somebody enter that information. And I always give the example of, let's say I'm a planner at Logitech, maybe going out to Amazon and Best Buy and looking at how many open boxed items are in those stores could possibly impact my forecast. Maybe it means there's a quality control issue or, you know, who knows? So there are all kinds of things like that that you can get really creative with. Uh, The other one that I think is a big deal that I think is overlooked a lot of times, there are actually two things. One is I would have never, ever done an application with top-down planning where people can enter at parents. Mm -hmm. And with Groovy, I do it all the time to help facilitate small tweaks at the top, allocate them down, those types of things. The other thing too, is if you write your calculations in Groovy, depending on how you write them, the auditing is actually a lot more or a lot better. It's uh, improved because if you write your calculations with Groovy instead of the S-based logic, something like somebody puts in units and it Mm -hmm. calculates or updates the revenue or the cost because Groovy enters it as if it was a submission in SmartView you can actually go to the impacted accounts and see who actually impacted that account, even though they didn't touch that specific account. So there's all kinds of just crazy things that you can do that when you're pushed, you you figure out ways to do things that you never thought you could do before. Yeah. So I I think just the fact that the way that you can write to the log, right. I think that's a big thing that people, you know, you guys are kind of touching on, but you can write better messages to the log and give your users more information about what's actually going on in the system. That's a big one. One of the cases that I think too, and I know that you guys have some, you might be a little bit more complex examples is that combining Groovy with REST, right? Like those are, those are things that I see a lot in applications that I think that when you combine the two together, you get some really powerful applications that you can, you can combine. You're totally right. Uh, I think we're just scratching the surface on some of the things that you'll be able to do with REST APIs. I haven't had to do it yet, but I'm I'm looking forward to the time when I might need to go and just yeah, maybe it's pull actuals in from Salesforce or Workday or something. I can do that through a REST API and stream it directly into my business rule and into a grid and put it into the database. Yeah, one of the examples that I'll give that I actually had to do, and this is very familiar to people, especially on-prem, is that you want your workforce application to be in a different application. You don't want it to be a plan type within an application because then you have to worry about security and who has access to it. So in the cloud world, a lot of times you'll have a pod with workforce planning and then your other pod has everything else. Right. And on save of you know changing people's either salary or their benefits or their union or you know whatever the example would be that would change that information, you can use the REST API to actually push that data to other pods. So um, they're all completely connected now. Yeah, but you know, take it easy though. Don't, we had Ronaldi on our last <laughs> podcast, and he was you know he was very hyped on the cell level security, Kyle. 
So uh, yeah, you know, it's with the different apps. So that was one of his major improvements, but I totally agree with you. One so, of many possible solutions <laughs> for the cross-dimensional security issue. Guys, that was fantastic info. I really appreciate that. But I want to get into and describe, and I know you probably have so many solutions that you guys would want to talk about, but let's talk about one of your most innovative solutions. If you guys want to outline it. Well, there was a pretty cool one I did recently where we had this really complex, both allocation and FX conversion. The consultant that I was working with uh, had it all mocked up in Excel. They knew exactly what they needed to do. Like, here's the data, here's where it comes from in this part of the database and this part and this part. And here's the math I need to do. And here's the results that I'm looking for. The reason that uh, they weren't able to do it through regular CalScripts is just because uh, it was so cross-dimensional that none of the traditional block creation methodologies that we have under our belts were working. So they wanted to see if they could do it with Groovy. And so what we wound up doing was basically translating the exact way that they had mocked up the calculations in Excel and duplicated that same thing uh, in Groovy using the grid. So we retrieved three, four grids into memory and recreated the same formulas that they had done with, you know, cross tab formulas in Excel and VLOOKUPs. And we said, well, we can do that same thing here. So we were able then to use that to do math and drop data into a new grid with that derived data and save it back to the database. One thing that was really cool about that is it turned out to be really easy to test whether mm. we'd done it correctly because we'd already done it all in Excel and we just needed to retrieve data into SmartView and find out if it was the numbers that we had already calculated in Excel. Uh, so that was a really cool thing. And then since we did that, that was a couple of months ago, we've been getting into that, um, actually doing it in a number of different applications as well. It's a really powerful kind of a new way that we're leveraging so, through. So that sounds cool, Joe, but do you find it, it's mostly the, the speed? Like what, what about that solution was drawing you to Groovy with the complexity? The thing that drove us toward it was simply because we couldn't figure out how to do it with uh, traditional calc scripts. Like, Got like it. we don't want to, I don't want to ever say, you know, that calc script is dead. There's an awful lot of things that you can still do really well with calc scripts. Mm -hmm. This wasn't working well. What really was compelling about this solution as it came together is just how directly it mapped to how we were thinking about it in Excel and we just create the same grids. Those grids in, that we're creating in Groovy, they work exactly like forms in mm -hmm. planning and or ad hoc grids in SmartView that are connected to planning. So we were able to recreate the exact process with the Groovy grids that we had done in Excel. And that was kind of really almost beautiful to see it come together like that. And that saves you the block creation because it's, it's a write. Exactly. Right, so right, once right. we dropped it into the to the grid and saved it, that you know that's the tried and true thing that we've mm -hmm. done to create blocks for a couple of decades now, right? You put the data in and you save it, and now that block has been created. So there was absolutely no issues with whether or not the block was going to be there or not, or whether it was going to be created when we needed it to. Cool. So just real quick on a comment on <clears throat> Joe's example, it, one of the things that I think people start to think about in, in his example is you have a kind of a relational component now in, in S-Base because you can use Groovy to pull these grids that he's talking about. 
And, and in a lot of ways, it replicates what we have never been able to do from a relational perspective, and it's kind of embedded in the product. And it's an interesting way to look at it, because I think if you look at the relational side of that and what it can do, it opens up even more things that you might think aren't possible that you can do. One of the more complex things that I've actually done, I was working for a large consumer goods company, one of the largest ones in the world. It was so large that their forms would not open in BSO. They would open in ASO, but not BSO. So they wanted to create everything in ASO. So if you think about, or if I think about, um, you know, five years ago, if I ever thought about creating an S-base application and writing no S-base calculation logic, I would have said, you're crazy. But that's exactly what this application called for. So everything that you would typically do in an S-based calculation, because it was in an ASO cube, was all done with Groovy. And that was enter at top, push it down, allocations, rate volume calculations. It was 19 dimensions. So it was a really, wow. really big application. <laughs> and the performance on it was shocking. I mean, when I went into it, I almost didn't take the project because I thought this is just doomed to fail. Mm. Um, but it, it was, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable when we were done that it worked. And I just remember thinking, I never thought I would ever build an S-based application without writing an S-based calc script. Now, before anybody asks, and Joe mentioned this earlier. I, I will. I will tell you that if you're if you're in the BSO world, if you can do something in an S-based calculation, it's almost always going to be faster in an S-based calculation. So Groovy doesn't make S-base faster; it makes the effort less. So everything seems faster. But if you replicated the exact same thing that you could do, say A times B equals C in an S-based calculation, and you did it in Groovy. 99 out of 100 times, I bet my house that the S-based calculation will be far faster. Well, they've got a head start on us by 20 years or so of making the S-based engine run really quickly, don't they? I would absolutely agree with Kyle that if it's something that you can imagine how to do it with a Cal script, probably go ahead and do that. One of the great things about Groovy is it lets you do things inside of, of planning that you can't figure out how to do with a calc script. And uh, this idea that he has of an ASO only planning application to me is, is super exciting. I love this idea and it opens up planning really to a lot more complex type models and 19 dimensions in a planning application is insane if you're doing that in the BSO world. But we all know that ASO scripting calculations, procedural calcs and allocations are just not up to the task that I would never try to build something as a planning app using only those. But with Groovy, you can do so much. It's so, it adds so much flexibility to what you can do uh, that this idea of running an entire planning application only on ASO cubes is a reality. Kyle, to um, dive into that just a bit, over the last couple of months, there were a lot of enhancements around the ASO in Groovy calls. Were you dependent on some of those or were you able to do those without it? No, this was probably two and a half years ago, two wow. years ago. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it was before it was before a lot of those enhancements were made for sure. That's really cool. Are you guys aware of any enhancements that's coming out for Groovy that you guys might be excited about? 
<clears throat> there's one thing that we're actually working on for a specific use case that I was helping on, which is having a write function to write to the inbox, which mm, nice. I think is, is flipping awesome because there, you know, the logs are only so big. So if you have a large log that you want to read um, in the past, I would actually use a string and then send it in an email to myself. But now you can write that out to the log. And in a specific use case, the, the uh, client is wanting to export metadata in an S-space format to load to an on-prem S-space application. So we're, we have a calc script that's built that literally iterates through the metadata and writes out the information in a delimited file now to that they can download and actually import through a load rule. So you think of all the translations of um, you know, the, the tildes and, you know, X's mean capital X's mean dynamic calcs and those types of things. So all those translations are done within the calc script and they basically create a load file for an S-based application. So that's one that I think will be used in a lot of, a lot of things you could use that for. Uh, the second thing that I actually just heard of um, yesterday was in another few months, the expectation is that we are going to be able to execute EPM automate commands inside of the business rule with Groovy. I was just part of the beta program to test the Groovy uh, export and import of data from ASO and BSO cubes. You can write an export directly from the, the cube and then change the rows on it, import it directly back into BSO or export the data out to a file in a specific format, both column, relational, column format, all that kind of stuff. So just finished it up this week, actually. I'm not sure when it's going to come out, but it's not bad. They have uh, a lot of feedback on it, but uh, overall, I, I think it's a very promising new feature. So you can even extract from ASO like, and uh, pull that out to in create different formats and filter on it too. So, so uh, something like a, a data export yep. trip type thing, yeah. but in the Groovy API? Yeah, within the Groovy API. Neato. Awesome. It was fun. Where do you guys see this platform? How, how do you see it growing, right? What areas do you think it could potentially grow on? We talked about some of those enhancements. Those are really cool stuff. But what else do you see how it's going to grow within this space? You know, I, I, it's so hard because I, I think we as implementation people are really going to dictate how far and what uh, the areas that it gets pushed. There's a lot of things that they see that we do that are repetitious. And I'll give a very simple example. A year ago, two years ago, two years ago, if you wanted to create a calc script, you had to concatenate quotes around your member name so that the fixed statement didn't break if you had numbers. And they saw people doing that a lot. So they created a method called CSC params. And that accepts member names, it accepts lists, it accepts maps, it accepts strings, and then it automatically concatenates and puts the quotes around that. So that's a very simple thing. I think they are looking at more complex things that we do like inverse logic and locking a cell and doing inverse calculations. And they're trying to think of ways to build some of those things into the product so that you don't have to use Groovy. So I think that you know what we do in Groovy is actually pushing them to make the product better. But from Groovy itself, I, you know, I, I kind of look at this as it's like giving an artist a pencil and saying, what are your limitations? Mm. You know, I get customers that push the boundaries all the time of things that I didn't think of that make me or force me to do things that I never thought were possible. Those are the things that are going to drive just insane 
crazy, you know, functionality that we don't have right now. I think if you read Kyle's blog, you'll see kind of that journey happening of new ideas happening. And I had to figure out how to do this today. And this is how I solved that problem. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and of all of these new ideas coming and then having the, the good grace to go and create so many blog entries uh, to share with the world how you solve those. So I think everyone owes you a pretty good debt, Kyle, for, for putting that all out there. Well, yeah. that's very nice of you to say. I don't know that I deserve that, but I appreciate that. So it's a little bit of guesswork on my part, but I do see a potential place for groovy rules in anything that has forms and grids, the cloud EPM interface and S-Space on the back end. So that would make PCM a really good candidate. I'm not really sure how much they are going to want to open up that model uh, and the databases that live behind it uh, to the kinds of things that we can do in Groovy Rules, but it meets all the criteria for what would be useful there. And I think it would be pretty nice really anywhere that there's room for customization by admins, uh, whether it be metadata rules that we could write in EDM or in data management validation rules to use Groovy syntax. Since we're asking everybody to learn Groovy and use it, well, let's give them the ability to leverage their knowledge about that language in these other areas in the products. And I think there's a lot of potential there for it to kind of spread throughout the cloud EPM environment. Do you guys have like a, what, like a Groovy wish list on what you would like to see? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. Um, I do have a few. I have one that's in the idea lab right now, and I've been recruiting people to go and, and vote on it. But I would really like to be able to use my Groovy grids to write to anywhere in the database. Uh, currently, I'm restricted by security, the, the plan window that that scenario is set up for, you know, uh, whether the version is top down or bottom up, that sort of thing. Myself as an admin, I have use cases where I do need to write data into my actuals or write data into past months. And I'd like to be able to just reassure planning. I know what I'm doing here and have it allow me to write data back. As of right now, I can only write data back to open planning months. And I would like that to be, I'd like that restriction to be removed, please. Kyle talked about getting access to the file system, to the inbox. I would just like to open that up actually, and just be able to read and write files to my heart's content out of that one little place in the file system. Working with files is completely restricted right now. And I'd like to just one little sandbox area to be able to read and write files from. Uh, a very small one I have. Um, this one is kind of a technical deep cut, but when I'm iterating through grids and I'm on a cell, I'd like it to be easier to get to the headers of those cells. I can get the names of the members from the various dimensions that apply to that cell, but it's a little bit of a round trip to get to the headers if I need something other than the member name. It's just a little hole I think there is in the API right now that might not be difficult to add. So that's a small list. And this one is a little bit out of left field, but it came up a few days ago when I was working with a client. What if we could pull in metadata to the grid like we do uh, with the planning admin plugin for SmartView? So I'm talking about creating a grid that's going to retrieve metadata in that I can look at, audit, 
even modify and save back. I know that the planning admin plugin uses the planning ad hoc ribbon. So maybe this is something that uh, wouldn't be too difficult to implement. But the way that we work with metadata right now through the Groovy API uh, is kind of roundabout and difficult. I think it'd be pretty cool to yank that into grids and see what the content of the grid is and maybe change it and save it back. That's a, that's, you said it was a small list, Joe. That was pretty four, big. Four. <laughs> Kyle, what's on your wish list? I would just like to reiterate his wanting to have a parameter in the grids that write to have an override to say I'm an admin and I can do whatever I want. I found a couple of loopholes that, that you can get around it, but it isn't pretty. So they let me do it with calc scripts, right? They do. Yeah. So I've written calc scripts to submit data. Yeah. So the things that I can think of are maybe not quite as sexy, but I often will pull data from a grid that somebody has updated to get the prior value. And it should seem to be very easy to have another property that is the old data and yeah. data. That would be extremely helpful in, especially when you're doing input at the parents and you want to do a percent change. So I'm actually pushing them to do that. That's a good uh, one. The other one is the ability to have more events. And this one is probably not something that we're going to be able to have. They're going to get creative about some things that uh, I think are going to be very exciting in the next couple of months. They're going to release with real-time calculation results. So mm -hmm. um, almost like a flex form where you have a formula or in Excel, if you change you know, units, then the revenue will look at the member formula and calculate the revenue on the fly. Yep. So that type of thing is coming, but it would be great to have a few more events to interact with a user so that we could do things like that, where when on sell change, we could do something. I love that idea, by the way, Kyla, that's bringing <laughs> us all the way back to the old, old days of customizing behavior and planning where you had to used to go in and hack the, the JavaScript. Is it validate.js? Yeah. yeah, that was that was <laughs> that was the worst documented thing in planning that existed. But if we had those features like that, those were all sort of things that you could react to back then in JavaScript 10 years ago that you yeah. can't. We don't have that now. Yeah, the challenge from what they said is that in they could do it in in the web, but in Excel, yeah. um, since it's a, an actual third party type of uh, add in that it doesn't interact with the Groovy because the Groovy runs on the server side. So there's a gap there between how that works. Yeah, the exact same restriction that we had with the JavaScript customizations yeah. as well. So I've said that's not good enough. You guys got to come <laughs> up with a better way. Yeah. I mean, we have SmartView in, uh, on the Mac version. So, hey, anything's possible, right? So Anything is possible. <laughs> is there anything that you guys would like to plug? Well, uh, I still would love for people to adopt my uh, groovy S-based Java API enhancement library from GitHub that I open sourced several years ago. That'd be cool. It's called Egress. You could just look that up. Uh, if anyone happens to be getting into groovy and wants to automate their on-prem S-space, that's a really cool way to do it. And then there's also the, the book that I contributed a chapter about groovy to is still available on Amazon. You can get a hard copy. I looked just today that you can get a copy for only $987 and 25 cents. That was a good deal. But there, there is a Kindle yeah. version that you can still get. My chapter in there is about Groovy. There's a Groovy tutorial in there, as well as how to use it with the Java API. Uh, Pete Nitschke 
uh, just told me recently that he went back and reread that chapter recently and he understood it this time. Hmm. Uh, so he says it's a pretty good tutorial. About half that chapter is just teaching about the language itself. I wouldn't acquire that book just for that chapter, but there are other chapters that are really good. I, I go back to that book frequently to look at Dan Pressman's and Angie Wilcox's and Gary Chrissy's chapters in there as well. There is another book out there that's very similar to this one. That one doesn't have the groovy content I'm talking about, so just be careful that you buy the right one. One you need to get is Developing S-Space Applications, Advanced Techniques for Finance and IT Professionals, and it has my name on the front. And Kyle? Yeah, sure. I spent a lot of time on putting together some training, so people that are interested in getting a very intense, hands-on workshop type training on all of the things that we've talked about. If you go to intohyperion.com, they are out there. They are about a third of the price of what anybody else is going to give you. And anytime I update them, you get updates. So I did it because I struggled so greatly. And the thought of other people going through that same journey that I did really made me sad. So I tried to put something out there where I made a few bucks, but um, people could afford and I've gotten a lot of great feedback. So if it's something that you need, I think it's a great resource. That's all online, right, Kyle? Uh, yes, sir. It's, okay. it's all online. And um, I've got, you know, examples. It's both narrative and labs. And you can go on and, and ask me questions as you're going through the, the process through, you know, chats and emails and things like that. So I support you all the way through it. I know one of my clients has it and they love it. It is a very helpful tool. This was excellent. I thought we had a great discussion and I learned a lot. Thanks for letting us do it. It's fun to do it. And, you know, the more that we can help other people go through this challenge, like I said, it was, it was so painful for me and I do a lot of free work just because I hate, I hate to think that other people have to go through it as well. So thanks for having this and thanks for doing it and sharing everything, you know, with everybody. It's uh, people love this thing. Yeah. Yeah, That's a great thing you're doing. And I very much appreciate, you know, you tapping me to be one of the ones to come on and talk about it. Well, we, we both really appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for coming. Take care. Sweet. Thanks. Right. You guys have a good one. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. The statements in this show represent the views of the participants and the hosts, and not necessarily the views of any organizations they may be affiliated with. You can reach us on Twitter, Anthony at the man Freddy, and Opal at Woman in EPM with the hashtag PMTechCast. Please remember to subscribe to get the latest from the Performance Management TechCast.